People have now realized there is actually a viable ecosystem that is not Ethereum. I have had like six or seven startups in the past day alone, like big startups, not like small fish, reach out about building on Solana and Spain to Solana. That is the most important thing because those people attract users, but then they also attract more founders. It's just the beginning. It's a paradigm shift. This episode is brought to you by Das London, Blockworks' number one institutional crypto conference where all the top institutions and people in crypto are going to be this March in London, what's becoming maybe the crypto hub of the world. I have a link in the show notes where you can learn more and also a discount code that will get you 20% off. So click the link, find out more, and I'll see you there. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, you just have me and Mert. And uh, Mert, what's going on out there? Soul's at 73. The timeline's absolutely euphoric. Dito just had its token launch and it's trading at 3.6 billion FDV, fully diluted value. That's more than Lido over in Ethereum land. What's going on, man? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, quite the euphoria happening right now. Um, I didn't know it was at 73. That's that's crazy. Last I looked, it was at 60. And... um, Ooh, okay. Uh, I'm not even sure where to start, but let's let's take it from the top. So yesterday, um, Thursday, that is December seventh, Gito did an airdrop of the JTO token, um, and it was a very generous airdrop, and it was very well distributed. Um, and a lot of people on Solana who helped support got a lot of uh, uh, internet money as a result. <laughs> and now they are using it in, in doing other sorts of things like buying NFTs or using Bonk or um, using other DeFi protocols. So it's been quite, quite crazy. For those who don't understand Jito, by the way, I, I think I, I have seen some confusion around this. And disclaimer, I am an angel investor. So people, I think somebody commented like... Um, and, and we can put me put this in the show notes, but like somebody put like, man, I like was holding Lido the whole time through like the bottom. And then like Jito comes in and already has a higher valuation. I'm going to like kill Kanav or something. <laughs> <laughs> and um, w- like one thing. So it, it's it's funny, but it kind of shows me that people don't really get what Jito is. Right. Jito isn't just an LST. It's not just a staking protocol. It is MEV infrastructure for a blockchain that has no mempools. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is fundamental core infrastructure um, and, and super crucial for if, if you have the thesis that Solana's usage picks up over time and there's financial activity, especially market activity and you know arbitrage, liquidations and stuff like that. MEV, as is kind of present or, or from the condition of Ethereum today, MEV becomes a very important part of everything. And it's also a point where a lot of value kind of goes to, right? MEV captures massive. And so I'm not going to talk too much about MEV because it's honestly probably the most comp- complex topic in crypto. And I don't want to do do this to our audience today. But all that is to say, Jito is like some combination of flashbots and Ethereum plus Lido, but also applied to a different ecosystem with different architecture that has been slept on for way too long. So you combine all those things and you get what you've seen in in the past day. To give a few numbers on the airdrop, it went to 10,000 wallets roughly. And the minimum amount that they received at the time was $10,000 up to 200,000. So you could get like a car from 2005. Now you can buy like a brand new Forerunner because it was trading at like $2 and it's about $3.70. There's only a 10% 
of the supplies floating right now. A lot of people haven't claimed their airdrop either because they're waiting for the next year. You actually have 18 months to claim that airdrop. Uh, but I think the bigger news is there's that wealth effect that everyone's talking about, which is, okay, you saw this in Ethereum when we had the Uniswap airdrop. You had almost 250,000 wallets get an airdrop then, but it was much smaller amounts that went to each wallet. People have this new money, then they start playing around. But the real thing is the attention in my mind. The attention that's now on Solana, you can see it from everybody, not just people in the Solana ecosystem. And now you mm-hmm. have these points programs, you have more airdrops coming in the future. Like we know Jupiter is about to do an airdrop. Camino just announced their points program. Meteora has their points program. Margin Buy has theirs. Tensor has theirs. It's absolutely absurd. Even the NFTs are just pumping. Mad Lads is at a floor of $17,000 right now. Sensorians, which is Tensor, the marketplaces, their NFT, 7500 right now. And those are up, I don't know, 200% or so. And I think mm-hmm. the theory is a lot of the people, if you hold an NFT, a Mad Lad or a Tensorian, potentially you'll get an airdrop because we did a Web2 advertising episode a while back. And one thing is you need to find an audience to identify to target. And if you have a Mad Lad or a Tensorian, you have that criteria for someone that you want in your DeFi ecosystem. So it's pretty cool to see these NFTs potentially, I'm not going to promise this because I have no idea, be used for this targeting method to get new users to future and existing protocols in DeFi right now. Yeah, it's certainly points programs are making a big splash. And I think people, I think the fundamental thing that's happened here is people have now realized there is actually a viable ecosystem that is not Ethereum. I would say it was probably a fair criticism in the last year where if you were on Ethereum, you'd probably see Solana as like, oh, this is just one of those other alt L1s. And maybe they they, they made more noise due to obviously Solana's history. But, you know, I can reasonably empathize with those people who, who thought that way. But now that it's been through the darkest of ages, uh, to put it kindly, and has come back, not just come back, but way stronger, right? Like you can see before last year, the chain probably would have been wrecked by the arbitrage spam. Now it's working perfectly. In fact, now it's actually capturing that value. And I shared a few tweets about this. You can see people paying for priority fees for different isolated hotspots. And that value goes back to the validators, obviously. And so it not only is it back, it's back, but like way stronger. Uh, and the thesis has actually been proven out. Now, it, it's not. So let me be very clear here. The, the network is not perfect in any way right now. It's I would say what what we, we've done here is we've proven that the proof of concept works right? The fee market stuff works. It's not perfect yet, right? Sometimes you'll still be able to spam your transactions through. And the user experience sometimes isn't great either during high congestion. But those are all fixable, small engineering problems that just add up over time. So basically what's happened, to put it uh, in like maybe a sentence or two, is people from Ethereum or just crypto overall have now seen, okay, there was Bitcoin, and then there was Ethereum. And then now there's a third thing that actually works, that actually gets attention and results in value creation and, and facilitation of information and, and, and value. And that's Solana, right? Um, so now I think it's just the beginning, but I think that fundamental shift, it's like a paradigm shift almost is, is how I think about it. Um, you know, when you have that, then people obviously have some in, in interesting predictions like, oh, Solana is like going to thousand X or, or et cetera, et cetera. So that, you, you, you want to be mindful of that. Like just because, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos says this well, right? Like 
you don't want to look at the stock price because when it goes up, because you don't, you're not going to be like, you know, 50 times worse when the stock price goes down, right? You kind of have to take the little wins because Solana has been <laughs> pushed down and, 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 and stomped on quite, quite a few times. And so, you know, have fun shit post, but at the end of the day, the work is really just beginning. Um, this was just a proof of concept and now we got to iterate. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the ultimate retail signal, I think, because I'm in all these group chats with people that don't work in crypto at all. They're not researchers, etc. And all they're talking about is Solana right now. And I don't really think that matters that much in the meantime. But once you start having apps people want to use, their first thing they're going to think of now is Solana, not Ethereum. They're, like none of my friends, they might know what optimism is, maybe. But now they all know what Solana is. Like, it's a huge difference. And I do want to hit on a topic that you said, like you see the timeline and people are talking, you know, they'll show like, I got this huge airdrop, et cetera. And it's interesting. Crypto is the only industry where you can openly post how much money you made and it's acceptable. Um, <laughs> in some ways, it's great because it's an airdrop, right? It shows you actually use the ecosystem. Probably not too great to talk about how much money you made all the time. And I'm going to sound kind of lame here, but this is like when you really have to be relentless because everyone does want to be an underdog. Like Solana has been an underdog for a while now. In some ways, it's a very privileged position. Like it kind of sucks, but it's also great. Like you love being the underdog and people start to root for you and they see you having success and you can see that right now and also everyone can claim they're early which everyone that's been listening to the show and obviously before the show existed was but similar to if i throw football in here it's like nick saban in alabama he won the championship like four years in a row they're good every single season most people hate alabama now used to though and they weren't good everyone loved nick saban but he's relentless he's relentless right you you see his interview after the championship game like how are you going to celebrate he takes one day off and then he's like back on the recruiting trail so just like nonstop, my kind of point is like, it's great, like, but these prize things only last so long. So it's really the time to double down. The good thing is Solana has those app builders in the ecosystem. And mm -hmm. I mean, to, to be fair, it's also very exciting that there's not that many tokens that exist yet. We know one thing that does work is tokens get attention. Attention brings new developers, brings new money, and it's got like virtuous cycles. So there's a lot of yeah. positivity to that as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Basically, the metric I'm most interested in by far, and I tweeted this yesterday, I said... Okay, so with Gito's uh, uh, valuation right now, their token network is actually valued over a billion. Um, so Solana has now basically birthed three unicorns, Magic Eden, Phantom, and Gito. And I think that is like the most impressive metric for an ecosystem because, okay, let's work backwards from the state of crypto to where we want to be, right? So like, where we want to be, we want to be at a place where there's mass adoption and people are using crypto in their everyday lives to ideally improve some inefficiency they have. Maybe that inefficiency is value capture due to middlemen or it's censorship resistance or it's just global state, like social graphs or, or something like that. Okay, how do we get there? Well, the way to get there is we need as many smart and talented people building these applications and systems as humanly possible, right? It's a numbers game. That's how startups work. And so as a result, what do you want to do? Well, what you want to do is you want to cultivate a startup ecosystem. And I think that's the most important thing that matters. If you have smart founders from Silicon Valley or wherever else in the world, and then they want to, they have an idea in their mind, they're like, okay, I want to build this. If they come to Solana and they can execute that vision, that is, I think, the number one thing that matters ultimately. Because, you know, you can look at TBL, you can look at volume, those things... I mean, you know, we can look at the DeFi Lama chart right now. Solana is doing almost more volume with like 120th to TBL, right? It's not, I think we pretty, and then Blast is almost at a billion, right? Yeah. So like, I think we've proven that those metrics are a little 
I don't think they're totally useless, but they're certainly extremely useless in the context of Twitter. And I think the most important metric by far is, is a qualitative one, which is how many startups are building on it and how many of those startups are venture funded and actually recruit other people onto the space. I think that's the number one most important thing by far. And since this price has went up, and uh, you know, this is the interesting thing about crypto. Um, I have had like six or seven uh, startups in the past day alone, uh, like big startups, not not like small fish, reach out about building on Solana and expanding to Solana. And like, <laughs> that is, in my view, the most important thing because those people attract users, but then they also attract more founders. And founders are who you want to attract as a, essentially, as a blockchain, you're a developer platform, um, at ultimately, at the end of the day. Uh, that, that that developer platform is supercharged by community and network effects and all sorts of other dynamics. But at the end of the day, you're deploying code on it that does something. And so there's also, we just did an episode with Iman from Solana Labs about a Solana Accelerator. Um, there's going to be another one that comes coming out soon, right? And I think that's going to be the tipping point, right? Like startups were always a thing, but they weren't really a thing until Y Combinator, right? And if we can replicate even one twentieth of that success in crypto, where we're attracting startups to use crypto for their businesses, ultimately that's going to be the most exciting thing for I think everyone. One cool thing I've learned doing research for our different guests that we've had on is how many teams start from these hackathons. And in Solana, this probably happens all over crypto, but specifically in Solana, I've noticed that. And, you know, you have Chow, which is he basically works at a Y Combinator type, I think Alliance DAO. They have like cohorts and their latest cohort, which is about to start. 25% of the applicants that got accepted were Solana. Said it's never, never been near that high. So it's cool to see a lot of teams. Obviously, one thing that's going to happen, because like, okay, I'm, I'm more on the DGEN side than a, than a builder. would love to be a builder one day, but I'm not. Um, it's very easy. I've already noticed myself just getting lost in Twitter. Like in the morning, I meant to get up and run. Well, instead, I was on Twitter for like an hour. Um, so, <laughs> so for both founders and people like me, that is one thing you have to be careful about. And whether this is a true bull market or a mini bull market is to have that like signal versus noise. It's very easy just to get caught up in the tweets and you can stop doing that more in-depth research. So I think that's really important. I also think that's important how it'll show people like Jupiter are going to have Jupiter start, which is going to help introduce people to other projects in the ecosystem. Because as you have all these new teams and projects launch, one cool thing about crypto, it's permissionless to launch a new product. The downside is discovery can be quite bad because of that, right? You can get really lost as a new user trying some shit product that rugs you. And discovery is going to be huge. And that's one reason I'm so bullish on Jupiter is because they're almost becoming like an aggregator of crypto. But you're going to see more and more of that. My point is, one, aggregators always win. Number two, just be careful because the signal versus noise in the bull market kind of gets really hard. And uh, I don't want to get caught up in it. And it'd be good if you don't either. Yeah, the signal to noise ratio has always been my uh, biggest gripe with the uh, entire industry. And uh, this gets really bad during bull markets, if there's a bull market, right? Like in the bear market, I was able to, and not me, uh, like just me, uh, many other people, but I was able to at least somewhat counteract most FUD that was just due to people not understanding how things work, which is noise, um, with some signal. Obviously, I'm not perfect either, but that was at least possible and feasible. But as the bull market comes, what happens is the noise ratio increases way more. And so I won't be able to 
I won't be able to dispel it, FUD. It just won't scale. Uh, and what we need to do is people who stayed through the bear and who actually now have seen what this stuff is like, like the dynamics of crypto and these systems, how they work, how they will work um, through podcasts like this, but also like readings, blog posts, like John Sharp's blog post, for example. The best thing you can do is learn every single day. Just learn the hell out of anything you can learn. Um, understand how these systems work, understand all sides of the argument, right? One of the biggest mistakes I've seen people make is just learning their side and then using their side to shit on other sides. It's like, I'm going to maybe toot my own horn here a little bit, but the, like the reason I'm relatively okay at dispelling fight against Solana is because I actually understand Ethereum quite well and EVM and their roadmap, okay? Because I worked at Coinbase and I saw this, I built some of this stuff. If I didn't, then I'm kind of just shooting in the dark and just saying, well, Solana is better because it has this. But I don't know what the other teams have, right? And and so that's not... And Charlie Munger, who just uh, who just passed away, RIP, um, that's like one of his core tenets, right? It's like he doesn't allow himself to have opinions until he can articulate the other side's position better than even they can, right? Um and like, you don't need to do this in, in perfectly. Like it's, it is Twitter. Like it's not that serious, but you definitely want to understand the full picture. Uh, and this goes on all sides, not just Ethereum, but also Solana builders and people on Solana community as well. If you're listening to this, mm-hmm. try to understand what you can about Ethereum, their roadmap. What is 4844? What is Dane sharding? Why do people need Celestia? What is this LDA stuff, Right. Why are L2s in their form, current form not sufficient? Is there a fundamental reason or is it an implementation detail, right? Like there's a bunch of different things. And like this will all make you a better investor as well, right? It's not just um, about being a builder. If you know this stuff, you're going to make better decisions in terms of where you put your capital. And so anyway, so I think you put it really well there that bull markets increase noise a lot. And you'll see like a lot of these YouTube influencers coming back. I mean, we already saw BitBoy being the Sultan of Solana <laughs> or whatever. Um, this is how Bankless got their start as well, by the way. Like they got most of their followers in the last bull market from what I saw. And so got to be very, very careful in your information diet. And so anyway, all that is to say, put in the work, try to learn something new every day about crypto. Yeah, I try to do the same thing. So Bankless got me into, not into crypto, but kind of back into it, uh, back into DeFi. I don't really listen to their podcast, but I have listened to two or three lately. Just to, I just want to hear their side of the debate. Like, I know we think differently about a lot of things, but for example, if you came from the Ethereum ecosystem or you paid attention, you would know what Lido is and you would know what Flashbots is. And that would have painted a picture of sorts, what's going on in Solana right now and, and why Jito could be such a you know powerful application that they have there. And there's a lot more of that. Like right now in Cosmos, maybe we'll talk about this later, but Cosmos is known for their app chains. You have the Cosmos hub, but then you have Osmosis, which has kind of become the hub. It's where most of the activity takes place. It was just a DEX. Well, now they're not just a DEX. They're also, they're really like a generalized DeFi platform. And now they're actually going through acquisitions where there's UMI and Mars, these lending protocols, and you have this Neutron app chain and Osmosis, and they're fighting to get these DeFi applications to come build on their app chain. But the reason why that is relevant to everyone here and in Solana is one, it shows that the app chain thesis, like that standalone app for the most part, isn't really working. Those app chains were having too high to inflation and now they're going to a generalized chain. But you're also just seeing what could potentially happen in Solana in the future. So I think it's really important to look at other ecosystems to learn. Um, Mert, you were talking about how you're not going to have time anymore to troll everybody on Twitter and respond to every comment. We could create a Mert AI. I think that could be pretty good. And (laughs) on that, have you heard of David Ortiz? He's a writer at Sports Illustrated. 
is isn't that the old baseball player? But yeah, go on. Close. So if I'm saying this guy's name right, let's see. Oh, Drew Ortiz. That's probably why I mixed you up. Okay, okay. so this is tangentially relevant, but Drew Ortiz, uh, he's this writer at Sports Illustrated, and he puts out articles every week, and they have this bio on him, and it says, nowadays, there's rarely a weekend that goes by where Drew isn't out camping, hiking, or just back on his parents' farm. Um, really sweet, right? Well, it turns out, this guy, Drew, is actually just an AI bot, and Sports Illustrated has been using him to post articles, even though they've been saying it's a human. Yeah. One, just kind of a fun story. There's actually, I don't know if it's a lawsuit, but there's a lot of controversy going on right now. Um, but this points to crypto. You're going to see more and more of these applications be generated. You're going to see more comments be generated, not just by people, but by AI. And that, again, comes back to the creation piece that I think is so important and finding that, that signal versus noise. So I thought that was a little oh, fun man. story. Yeah, I've actually I've actually seen this now that you mention it a little bit on the timeline where people will like, oh, the thing I hate the most is like when thread ors come back, like people who just publish threads, not because they have something to say, but they have to say something, right? What is that quote? I think it's by Confucius or something. It's like um, a wise man speaks when he has something to say. A fool speaks just to say something or like something along those lines. That's a quote. And that's like exactly what a threat or is on, on Twitter. Like these people just try to get likes and just publish random information about things they have no idea on. And with AI, that's going to be, like, oh my God, that's going to be like turbocharged to like a billion X. I've already seen this a few times where people are like trying to explain how certain systems work. And I'm like, I read it and I'm like, okay, this is clearly by AI. This is using a 2021 information source. Um, the information wars are real. Um, this isn't just in crypto. You can see this everywhere. But one of my fundamental theses for why I actually started even going on crypto, I mean, uh, Twitter, right? Like two years ago, three years ago, something like that, um, was because I believe that the only way to overcome that is to have your own platform, right? And actually, the only way you can really help the signal noise ratio is not by reducing others' noise because you're just not going to do that, especially with AI, it's going to scale infinitely. The only thing you can really do is increase your own signal. And so that kind of goes well with what I was saying earlier, which is about just learn something every day. And then you slowly increase and tune your signal. Um, and that's going to be very important. We're um, trying to do more of this on the Helios blog as well. We're publishing a lot of informational pieces. And we're going to be, I just hired a new researcher and a few more writers. And so we're going to be doing this much more. Um, obviously, podcasts like this, I would encourage people to listen to. But like, honestly, just try to maybe write your own stuff as well. Like go on Substack, become a citizen journalist. Um, don't say anything authoritatively without actually knowing what you're, what you're talking about. Just try to like feel it out, ask questions, be curious. And I know that won't scale. Like probably people listening to this, maybe like 1% of them will do that. And then maybe like half of them will just not do it after like two months. But if even one person does that from this episode, I think that's going to be a pretty big win. Quick break to tell you about an upcoming event I promise you don't want to miss. It's BlockWorks' biggest and best institutional conference called DAS London. It's a two-day event happening in London this March where we're going to have over 700 institutions, 130 speakers, and a couple thousand of us all under one roof. Crypto is in a position for the first time to actually onboard these institutions, and they're showing up. We have companies from BlackRock to Visa launching real products in the space. We have the real-world asset narrative taking off. We have things like payments that have been exponentially growing. And then we have things like Deepin 
been happening in the Solana ecosystem. There's a ton of capital right now in this institutional space. It's going to be coming on chain. It's going to completely change the industry. Whether you are an institution or you're a retail user or you just want to learn more about what's going on in the space, this conference is for you. You're going to be able to meet some of the best and smartest people in the space. The speaker lineup is absolutely incredible and you'll get to hang out with me. But the best part is you actually get 20% off your ticket if you use Lightspeed 20 when checking out. That's Lightspeed 20. I put a link in the show notes. Um, I recommend buying this today because one, you'll forget about it. Two, these ticket prices go up every single month. So anyways, I hope to see you there. Now, let's get back to the show. Mert, I want you to expound on this idea that was brought up in our last episode with Meow when he was talking about the benefits of having an integrated chain versus maybe a modular system and how fast you can respond to things because that was a good lesson in itself. So maybe people that missed that episode, but also then you saw Brian today, who's the COO um, over at Jito, and he was tweeting about how the ecosystem essentially came together. It's been not just Jito that's been planning this launch, but a lot of the different DeFi projects, including RPCs like you, you even said like nine hours after launch, this Jito token had 150 million in on-chain trading, 50 million in TVL, which means it was already integrated with these DeFi protocols and 8 million in Jito deposits across margin products as well, like MarginFi and Camino. Um, mm-hmm. Can you maybe explain to people that don't really understand how this is a benefit on something like Solana that you may not have in Ethereum? It's a good question. I think it goes back to like anybody who's worked a corporate job or like at a business with Actually, yeah, any company will know this. And here's kind of the dilemma here. Getting coordination between your own corporate walls. So like, let's say you work at Corporation X and you want to drive something. It's much easier for that company to align on something than cross-corporation communications, right? Like if Amazon wants to get something done and they only had to rely on Amazon to do this because Amazon is just a bunch of different teams within Amazon, like AWS, Amazon, uh, Amazon.com, shopping, advertising. That's like, everybody's already rowing in the same boat. They're already an integrated system. But then if you want to maybe, if you need to work with Google or if you need to work with Microsoft, that's going to add a lot of extra friction. And like people, when when they talk about fragmentation of L2s, they talk about liquidity or like the technical stuff. And that's actually not really what I'm referring to. Um, I think that's probably a solvable problem, right? Uh, there's stuff that comes out to tackle that, but what what's not fixable is something that's been present since the start of human history, which is human communication, right? It's obviously if you have people in an integrated system who it's like a city, right? If you're in a city, you want to improve that city or like a local town because you live in the city every single day, right? If you see a piece of garbage, you're probably going to want to pick it up unless it's already like the broken windows theory has already worked and it's like New York city or something. Um, <laughs> but like, shot at New York. Okay. You, li- <laughs> you live in Toronto, man. <laughs> oh yeah, it's bad. Um, so that is to say, when you have shared infrastructure, right, people have more of an incentive to help each other out and unblock each other. And and you can see this in practice, like when Solana had the uh, priority fee stuff, they added that in, but like just adding that into consensus or execution isn't enough. You need wallets to add it. You need DeFi protocols to add it. You need RPCs to add it. You need all these people to roll in the same direction at relatively the same rate. Like Token 22 just came out. That is a huge cross-functional effort. Whereas if you need to roll out like a new future on a modular system, okay, that's kind of complex, right? Like, okay, if you roll it up on the execution layer, does that bleed over to consensus or DA? Like how are the infrastructure providers going to deal with that? Because they're already supporting like 100 different chains and they're abstracting that away. Is that going to work? Probably not. Um, and I, I don't want to talk too much about this because I think it's going to be so obvious that people will notice it on their own in the next mm. year or two. Um, but it's just human nature, right? Like you can drive alignment within your corporation 
much more smoother than you can outside of your corporation, right? You don't have control of that. There's a bunch of dependencies. Um, somebody said something like, um, is this like a love letter to centralization or something like that? Oh, that was funny. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's a total false dichotomy, right? Because what it means is it's it's the source of this is not centralization. It's a, uh, it's incentives, right? People have an incentive to see the same network that they share with everybody else succeed. That's kind of what you get with a giant global machine. But if you don't share that resource with other people, their problems might not be your problems. And if their problems are not your problems, then you don't have the same incentives to fix them, right? That happens all the time. And I think it's, people talk about fragmentation of technical systems and liquidity, but I think fragmentation of incentives is gonna be the bigger issue. And I think Ethereum kind of knows this, or the Ethereum folks know this, which is why they came up with Ethereum alignment, right? That actually technically kind of helps with this. But again, that's something you must enforce socially, which is not the same as socially and economically and as a business, right? Like th those are different kinds of things. Um, in Ethereum's case, it's explicit in terms of alignment. In Solana's case, it's implicit. Um, I don't want to talk too much about that because I think yeah. people will wake up to it soon, but uh, we, we called it here. Yeah. And I think it's good we have both, and you know this as well. And a, and a lot of tech, not all of it, but it's trade-offs and path dependency as well. And you hear people talk about this, but Solana, for example, is focused on UX, low latency, low fees, bringing the users in, and Ethereum was just maximal decentralization, if you can even define that. Um, but that came with a trade-off on UX, low fees, and that's Solana's big bet here. I do think Solana will have a big advantage in that integration piece where everyone is aligned technically, not just in spirit like Ethereum. Um, that'll probably lessen a little bit over time as the ecosystem builds out and you have more and more apps, more and more parties, but they'll always have that structural alignment unlike Ethereum where you have all these different L2s which are trying to find their space. Um, but Mert, one thing I want to touch on, I think it's fair to say Solana is having its moment right now. And I don't think this is going anywhere. Prices may go down, but attention has shifted completely. And people are going to start using uh, Solana more and more. What I do want to touch on, though, is just something you tweeted out, which is a little bit more uh, not as ecstatic, euphoric. You tweeted out, with the exception of Bitcoin, the probability of there being no liveness or consistency failures on a major blockchain in the future is 0%. And I'm just curious how you think about that in regards to Solana as well. Because Solana has fixed its network issues from the past. It hasn't had a downtime issue in, I think, about a year now. Um, but I think you're right in that not just Solana, but every ecosystem is going to experience this again and how that is not the end of the world. But I'm just curious how you think about it. Because the hardest part when I read your sentence is how do you square this with onboarding institutions? Because if you're Facebook or your social app, it's fine if you don't have consistency in how many people have liked a photo. Like I see that 10 people like that photo, you saw 15. But if you're a high fidelity finance company, it's really important whether that interest rate is 4.2 or 4.3. So I'm just curious like how you think about that. Yeah, so I, I don't think there's a possibility that there is not a liveness failure in major blockchains going forward other than potentially Bitcoin. I just don't think it's possible. And the reason is because it's software. And software is not ever perfect, and it never will be, as long as humans write it. And not only is there software, there's also economic incentives, and there's also complex moving parts everywhere. And I think it would actually be silly in my view, and this is a super unpopular opinion, even within Solana, I think it would be silly to optimize for not having liveness failures 
because then what happens is you stop moving fast and you stop taking risks and you stop creating new things, right? Like this is already like one of my major problems with Ethereum, how long their roadmap takes. It's like, I don't, I'm the total opposite of that. I think you need to have an extreme sense of urgency, right? Like time is not on our side. Like Elizabeth Warren is trying to kill crypto as we speak. Uh, we need to show these people, hey, you can build very sick stuff here uh, that's actually useful. But if if they run into like bottlenecks or something, we must be able to fix them ASAP. We can't say, hey, come back in six years, right? Like, I don't even, I don't know if I'm going to be alive in six years. I mean, I, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do what I can to make that happen now. And like, I don't think Ethereum is uh, uh, immune from this, right? Ethereum has like an, an activity leak, which basically means that they actually sacrifice consistency for availability, which is, so there's something called the cap theorem in computer science and unlock the blockchain trilemma. It's an actual trilemma, right? It, it says that any database system can have two of the three, which is availability, which is uptime, consistency, which is the consistency of uh, the data, and then partition tolerance, right? So like basically let's say sharding. And you can only have two of those. And that's just a, a hard law. Like that's just how we what we know about these systems. Um, and, and so Ethereum actually, if they, like what would happen is they would have an inactivity leak, which actually has happened in the past year twice. Or no, it didn't trigger the first time, it triggered the second time. Uh, and basically what that means is they start reducing the validator set such that all nodes that are like not behaving, let's say, are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. But what that means is there might be actually uh, uh, inconsistent data, right? Because you took you prior's availability over consistency, which means you might now have hard forks. Uh, and so there's always a trade-off here. And I don't think that liveness is necessarily the right trade-off this early on, right? N- okay, so once we have institutions that are actually deploying capital and they're serious, you know, very mission-critical stuff, then it's like, okay, then maybe there's other optimizations we can make. And by the way, when you design these systems, you would want to keep this in mind anyways, right? Like, for example, the, the way the current financial system works is if I make a payment, it doesn't go to the settlement layer right away. It first goes to the execution layer and maybe that's Stripe or Visa. And then it goes to ACH when it's available, right? The actual fund movement happens then. And like GetCode already does on Solana. And actually, I'm pretty sure GetCode did this because of Solana's outages in the past, what they did was like, okay, we want to be working even if it goes down. And what they did was actually, they actually tested this when Solana went down last year and it was still working, right? Obviously this gets very difficult for DeFi, which I completely understand, right? If you're running like liquidations and and, and different strategies for risk management, I totally get it. And by the way, I'm not saying uh, we should be fine with liveness failures. I'm not saying we should encourage them. I'm not saying anything positive towards liveness failures. The only thing I'm saying is that it is silly to expect they will not happen, right? Like, and then say like, oh, this is a black swan. It's like, no, 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 this, there's always this risk in any blockchain other than maybe Bitcoin that the system might go down and you must at least think about this. Um, I understand you don't want it to go down, but you can't just say it's not gonna happen in your head and then just assume it won't happen. That's how people get wrecked, right? Um, and Solana is, has actually slowed down, uh, in, in, in iteration speed, right? Like I can see in like the discords where people want to ship new stuff. They're like, mm, 
right? They, they have PTSD from people like shitting on them relentlessly from the lightless failures that they're actually, they've slowed down. And if we keep employing that strategy over like five, 10 years before we found PMF and before things that are ossified should have been ossified, then we're going to be probably losing out on innovation. And probably what that means is newer players are going to come in who don't have that risk. They can just do anything they want. They can just move fast. And then maybe they'll capture share. So it's always this weird balance in any company where your risk tolerance as you get bigger gets lower and lower. Like you don't want to risk. It's loss aversion. And I think that's like a part of the innovator's dilemma, right? And so that's it's this kind of prevailing force that's always around. But I think... I just want people to be aware there is no magic sauce that says there will never be a liveness failure in any of these systems going forward. There will be. Yeah. I, I wanted to bring that up because I wouldn't doubt in every ecosystem, Ethereum, Solana, we see that at some point, whether it's an hour, 30 minutes, and people are going to go on Twitter and shitpost. Well, just get over it because it might happen at some point. But the point is that these ecosystems are building and getting better every day. And when you have that, you're iterating. And that's what Solana does. And that's what you're touching on. Solana iterates really, really quickly, which I think is a huge advantage. Um, one thing I'd call out too is sometimes this isn't really true with Solana's past network outages, but that has to do with client diversity. That's one thing that Ethereum harps on. And also Solana, they're saying right now they'd like to have four different clients. Right now you just have the Solana Labs client, but now you have Firedancer um, because you have that liveness issue when more than 33% of the stake has some sort of bug or goes offline. I do want to point out Ethereum, 84% of the clients are running Geth. Uh, that's the execution client. And then 41% are running Prism. So one little like theory that I'm kind of looking into, which you might have a better insight is client diversity. How much does it matter? Like how much value do you get from having client diversity? And I, there's definitely some, like we saw it in Ethereum. And if you listen to Anatoly, he's like, I'll finally be able to sleep at night. So it, it obviously brings some value. You don't really see other ecosystems working on multiple clients right now, like any app chain, say, SWE, um, et cetera, Monad or Monad, as I should say. But what I do think how path dependent everything is, even if that's not the case, the fact that people think it is right now and that Solana is acting on it is the only reason that Fire Dancer is actually something that's coming out and going to be you know 10 times more performant than the current client. And other ecosystems don't have that. So you know, there's an argument whether you should have client diversity or not. If, even if you assume you shouldn't, I think the fact that Solana was so set on the fact that they needed that has now developed Firedancer, which is going to be the most performant client in the existence of crypto. And no other ecosystem is working on that, or maybe even has the incentive to. So I think that's really powerful and uh, like a path-dependent decision that Solana made. Yeah, client diversity is certainly important because... And, you know, people actually... So it's probably a good time to cover this misconception, which is that people think like when Firedancer goes live, there will never be an outage again or something like... But, but that's not necessarily true. Um, what The main benefit of Firedancer is it's a new code base built from the ground up in a new language by different people. And when you have that, and but they have the same functionality as the client, uh, the, the labs client, what that means is you can recover from arbitrary failure and arbitrary failure caused by security issues, for example, right? Like, let's say there's some piece of code in Rust that the Solana Labs client has written in that's exploited, right? Um, and now you can literally just hack the validators or something. I don't know. Okay. But but it's super, super unlikely that the exact same bug ha- is, is a thing in C, which is what FireAncer is writing the, the client in, right? So that alone is a huge reduction of risk from arbitrary failure 
right? Not lineless failure to be to be exact, but arbitrary failure. Right? Any sort of arbitrary failure, you can now recover from it. Now, that recovery might not be in um, 400 milliseconds, right? That is to say, mm-hmm. maybe there's some block halting before the recovery takes place. But the important part is you can recover from arbitrary failure, right? So it's not catastrophic. Um, and you don't yeah, have question, to hard question on that real quick. Okay. So that's what you got. So you don't have to hard fork because even if the current Solana Labs client had a similar bug and went down without another client, you'd essentially halt. All validators would have to get together, decide on what snapshot they're going to actually restart on. And that's pretty complicated, right? Is the point that if you have two clients, like a fire dancer comes out, that whole process is then minimized because you can just fall back on another client. Is that? So here's, here's kind of a scenario, right? So like assume everybody is, um, running Solana Labs client, like 100% of the network, but assume there's a bug in that client that people just found out about. And now this will depend on the type of bug it is. Like if it's a massive security vulnerability, what will happen is the blockchain will halt and it won't proceed until that patch has been fixed. And the supermajority of the validators have upgraded to that patch, right? In the past, for example, when Solana's went down, what would happen is Tolly would say to all the validators, <laughs> like, come to Discord, and they wouldn't because there's so many of them, right? Like, there's thousands of validators, and to get them all to come on Discord, people think this is like a centralization meme. It's like the exact opposite. The, the reason the outages take this long is because it's impossible or very, very difficult to get all these validators to come back and, and actually coordinate and, and it just never actually works smoothly because decentralization is chaos in a sense. And so that would be why it takes so long to fix those. Um, but w- with like a second client, what you could do is you could just switch to the other client, right? And so you're, you're back in business much sooner. Um, and also, s- since you have kind of two references, you can probably figure out the bug faster as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and by the way, there's this thing which, which like the validators have to pick like a snapshot to restart from. That's actually being automated now. Like before it was actually up to the validators, but it's actually being built into the protocol itself now that that will be an automatic process um, so that it's not, there's no human intervention there. Um, and so now what ha- needs to happen is like assume Fire Dancer goes live. And this will depend on stake distribution, right? Like if 100% of the stake is running Fire Dancer, it's, then it's a different story than if it's 50-50. But basically what we think will happen is like top validators will actually run both clients. And then there will be some core change to Solana that will make it such that the failover is automatic. And so it, it then that will actually help liveness, but that's just not going to be live at launch, right? So maybe that'll take X years or six months, depending on how important the fires are, because the way engineering works is you just tackle the biggest fire first before the house burns down. Uh, and, and so it'll really depend, but that's, that's how it would work. Gotcha. Okay. We got a little technical, but I think that's good to know stuff that everybody should understand. And fire dancer is already a narrative, but as people start figuring out about Solana, it's going to be bigger and bigger, right? Because in my eyes, it's kind of like when everyone in Ethereum talks about EIP 1559, this is obviously different, but this is of that magnitude. Um, it's going to be really important for the ecosystem. So anyways, we're at 45 minutes, Mark. maybe before we finish, let's just, go through some hot topics. Um, one, I'm just curious if people are listening to this episode and they haven't really played around with Solana, what do you think they should go check out? And obviously there's an airdrop strategy, et cetera. We're not really experts on that. I've already listed a few. Like you should play around with Meteora, Camino, Drift, 
Zeta Markets, there's Parcel. Um, I'm definitely leaving out some. There's a whole lot more. You've probably heard about Bonk. It's up 2,000% in the last two months. I don't know about playing around with that one. There's definitely no airdrop. Is there anything else that I missed that you think someone new to Slanish maybe check out? I do think Drip is awesome. It's almost bringing a Web 2 strategy to Web 3 that's very interesting to watch. And unlike Ethereum, where NFTs are all about scarcity, it's really about abundance. So it's really cool to see that different strategy. But you think there's anything I missed there? Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, so... I think it depends on who you are. Like if you're a developer, obviously you're going to come check out Helios Labs Helios. right here and um, we'll help you build cool stuff. If you are a DeFi person, right? There's uh so I made a tweet about this. Maybe we can link that about like all the different things you can check out on Solana mm. and um, you know, borrow land. There's a bunch there. There's margin, there's Camino, there's Solend, there's Lulo finance, which is an order book. Uh, that's something only possible on Solana, right? Like, uh, it's a lending protocol based on an order book. So that's, that's pretty cool. Mm. Um, Phoenix. Pieces of DAX. Yep. So we have a few DAXs as well. Um, you know, we have Orca, Radium, uh, Jupiter, in a sense, uh, Meteora, um, OpenBook. Um, and that actually probably the one I use the most is BetDAX, uh, cause it's for sports betting. The team behind this is actually the formerly uh, the, the founders of FanDuel, which is a massive app, mm. right? And so that, that's actually probably like one of the most slept on projects in this entire ecosystem, which is there's like a FanDuel team that's backed by Paradigm, by the way. And they have a sports betting platform live on Solana today. And I've used it to bet on football games uh, a few times now, UFC fights. Uh, and it's actually pretty fun. That's like my main financial activity, which is betting on sports. What's it called? Uh, what, what's the name? BetDex. BetDex. Cool. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously NFTs, right? You, but NFTs is, is, is a very big topic on Solana. So obviously you have your Tensors, Magic Eden, Soul yeah. Snipers. Um, you have your Drips. Uh, <laughs> you have Drip. You have uh, XNFTs and Mad Lads and Backpack. You have um, Compression. If you want to mint and blast items on chain. Um, and payments is a super interesting one, like Tiplink, micropayments with code, um, Sling. There's Sling. There, as you go through this list, there's a lot. <laughs> like I don't know, you know, I, too much. Yeah, there's there's a lot. Yeah, that, and that's again where discovery becomes such a big deal here. But oh, you know, we got a deep in one. So Helium back in August, they launched their five dollar per month Miami unlimited plan. Um, they just announced their nationwide $20 a month unlimited yes. plan is now available, which is awesome. It's like one of the few things that you don't need to know anything about crypto. You just see $5 or $20 for unlimited call, text, data. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, I was seeing some people tweeting about how they're going to switch from Verizon. And then like three tweets after Verizon themselves replied like, oh, no, please don't leave. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> funny. Uh, but yeah, Deepin is a big one. I mean, you know, we got uh, Mapper as well. If you want to start, if you're a driver, like if you drive a car, go to Hive Mapper, get a dash cam, put it on your car, and earn tokens on Solana, right? Like that's that's a pretty good deal. Um, and use and, Teleport uh, where, while you're at it. Teleport yeah, is like a decentralized Uber. We had, we had an episode on all these, so just go listen to all of our past episode. If you're new to Solana, just listen to them. It's the best podcast in crypto, I'd say. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. Um, you know, it, it, there's also a lot of things missing. Um, and, and I think that's really bullish because that means people that are new and coming in have like a design space that they're like, okay, this is missing. I'm going to build it. I'm going to build a company here and then the community is going to support me. Yep. So like, if you don't find what you're looking for, build it. It's honestly, it's obviously, I don't want to say building is easy, but it's actually quite 
easier than it used to be, and especially compared to other ecosystems, right? So if you have a piece of content, like, like let's say you're looking for like gaming um, games on Solana or something, and you just don't have a good list, make it, make the list, do the research and make a name for yourself. Um, there's a lot of cool gaming SDKs. We're actually releasing an article on this today. Um, and there's also like, you know, some people like uh, horse racing to like uh, uh, Z.run back in the day. Solana has probably like the best version of that that I'm aware of. It's called Photo Finish Game. And it's by the same guys from Madden and EA Sports. And they've actually partnered with like Kentucky Derby and NBC and stuff. So they're a huge deal. Um, right. In fact, a few venture capitalists actually have people dedicated full time to training these horses, these internet NFT horses to win races. So it's very interesting. Um, that blows It's my called mind. Photo Finish That's- Game. Yeah. Everything in crypto will blow your mind if you're new here. Um, but you know what? It's the future. It's the future of France. You know, one thing that blew my mind recently too is Phantom, which is probably Solana's leading wallet right now. There's a lot of really good ones. They just put in a cross-chain swapper where essentially if you're in Ethereum, you can go to Solana and like one click through their app. And just in the first week, there's one million bridge and assets to Solana. Like the easier that becomes, same with CCTP, which is circles. It's basically their bridge, an easy way to have not wrapped. So it's native USCC going from Ethereum to Solana is huge. And one reason you can use CCTP so often in something like Solana is because it's one integrated global state. So unlike circle going to Cosmos and saying, where are we going to launch? Where are we going to integrate? They just go to Solana and it's cheap. And that also just points out the business model these wallets have is insane. And that's why you're gonna you're going to see these wallet wars. I mentioned this with Meow about how they should have their own, potentially their own wallet, at least be affiliate program. So if you're a new user and you go to Jupyter and it pops up, uh, like Phantom's charging 0.85% on these bridges, on these like swaps, which is a low fee. At the same time, that'll rake in cash. It's similar to MetaMask when they put in that swap fee. I forget what the numbers are, but they made I think hundreds of millions of dollars just by putting in a little swap fee native in the wallet. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, we should do an episode on bridging, actually. Um, I think like wa- the best crypto wallets are on Solana. Like I think Phantom started on Solana. Soulflare is extremely good. Backpack is super solid as well. There's another one called Glow. Um, Coinbase wallet, I think, is also pretty good. Um, I think there's actually Solana wallets are like, uh, like we don't have MetaMask, which I, I think maybe uh, uh, is like the defining difference. Um, but it... Yeah, I've seen a lot of my friends from Ethereum use this new that new Phantom feature, and they're like, "Hey, man, like, what do I do here?" And I'm like, "Oh boy, <laughs> a lot." <laughs> um, okay, let's uh, let's close it up here, Murray. That was a pretty good discussion. Congratulations, to everybody that's in Solana has been in Solana. It's been a crazy week. I should say, really crazy month. Um, and really, I look forward to only continue not just the price, but actually the people building the space. So, anyways, thanks for listening. Hit subscribe, and Mert, have a good weekend. Yes, sir. You have a good weekend and thank you everybody for listening and um, have some fun. Yeah, have some fun. We'll see you guys. All right, I've got a little ending note here. First, thank you so much for listening to the full episode. If you really liked it, hit subscribe. But secondly, make sure you sign up for DAS. This is BlockWorks' biggest institutional conference happening in London in March. I've included a link in the show notes and also a discount code. Get 20% off. Make sure to use Lightspeed20 when you sign up. All right, I'll see you there and I'll see you next time on Lightspeed.